1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning as we continue a series in the book of 1 Corinthians entitled Christian Living in a Pagan World. If you're here with us today and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. They'll be happy to get one into your hands so you can hear the Word of God, but also read it as well and has a double impact upon your life. And please, if you don't own a Bible, God would love to make that Bible a gift to you today. Please take it home and make a friend of it. Beginning in verse 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, I, not the Lord say, if a brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, he's a non-Christian, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they're holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this passage in your word. We thank you for the broad diversity of subjects that you address out of your wisdom and out of your love for us, Lord. We thank you for this passage, and we just pray that you would give us hearts to receive from you, Lord, to hear your voice from your throne through your word today, and we pray that this passage, every reason that it's in the Bible, that those reasons would be accomplished in each one of our lives. And Lord, we pray that today, as we read this passage about marriage and about divorce and about remarriage, that anywhere in this room where there is a bruised reed or smoking flax, someone that's been hurt, Lord, someone that's been deeply impacted by divorce, even on the wrong side of it as a Christian, that you would keep hope alive, that you would take, Lord, and not break what is bruised, not put out, Lord, what is smoking, just a spirit of gentleness, but with power, And with clarity, Lord, speak to each one of our hearts. We want your standard to be our standard. We reject all other standards as a waste of time, as folly, Lord, as harmful, and as destructive, and as living far below the desires that you have for our lives. Teach us about your standard in this area this morning, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This series, again, we want to remind ourselves in 
through 1 Corinthians. It's a series entitled Christian Living in a Pagan World. And that's the world that we live in. It's a pagan world, becoming more pagan by the day. The letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, Corinth was a very, very pagan setting. And they really needed instruction on a wide variety of subjects in order to be able to live the Christian life effectively, to enjoy the blessings that God brings into our life in that life, but also to be a witness, to be a distinctive people in the midst of all of the paganism and all of the darkness around them. And we remember as we began in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that we begin a whole new section of the book because in this particular section of the book, all the way to the end of the book, the Apostle Paul is addressing questions that were sent to him by the Christians there in Corinth having to do with, again, a wide variety of subjects, including the subject that we come to this morning, which is marriage and includes the subject of divorce and remarriage. And Paul's teaching here, as well as Jesus' teaching on these subjects, reveals to us that a Christian is to have a a very, 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 very high view of marriage. And that's a challenge for us as Christians today because increasingly, literally by the decade, in the nation that we live in and in the world that we live in all around us, it is, it is taking a lower and lower and lower view of marriage. This is demonstrated in the astonishingly high divorce rate in the pagan culture that we live in called the United States of America. We're just used to hearing for so many years now that the divorce rate, the average divorce rate in the United States of America approaches 50%. One out of two will end in divorce. And so we just get used to the statistic and we don't realize that when you have a statistic like that in comparison to other countries in the world and in comparison to earlier times in our history, you're dealing with something that is really, really broken. And any of you who have ever been close, involved in a divorce, or maybe not involved in a divorce, but very close to a friend or a family member who's involved in a divorce, and you realize how widespread the damage is. You've got that epicenter where the divorce takes place, but the repercussions of that divorce in all directions are very, very significant. And when that's happening in one out of two marriages, even though we get used to the statistic, it's very alarming. That's, that's at an epidemic level. If there were any kind of a situation uh, in any other area in life where we say one out of two doesn't make it, I mean, the whole country would rise up and do studies and invest all kinds of money and resources to find out how can we better this outcome. But our culture just falls asleep to it because 
We want easy divorces, and the culture as a whole wants that, and they want that freedom, and they don't uh, necessarily want things healed that they want to get out of. And so it's an alarming thing that we're in the middle uh, of. This low view of marriage is also demonstrated in the laws that have been passed in our country in order to accommodate easy divorce. When I was a boy, we're going way back now, ladies and gentlemen, when I was a boy, divorces were very rare. And in fact, in my entire junior uh, elementary school age, I only knew of one child whose parents went through a divorce. It was like a catastrophe happened at Irene M. Snow School. None of us know what to, knew what to do about it. We didn't know how to feel for the student that we loved. We didn't know how, we didn't know anything about it. It was rare, uh, back in those days. And a divorce was also very, re- was relatively hard to obtain. Today, of course, we have, as the law of the land, what is known as the no-fault divorce. And the no-fault divorce is a divorce where the uh, disillusion of the marriage uh, doesn't require uh, the proving of wrongdoing of any kind on the part uh, of either party. And so all that's required in order to obtain a divorce is just to uh, declare incompatibility with the other person or irreconcilable differences and, uh, and that the assertion by either the husband or the wife that uh, the marriage is irreparably broken down and is beyond repair, and then the divorce is granted, and the other spouse can't really fight the legal termination of the marriage. That's, that's the standard. That's the, that's the country we live in, and that's the position that our country, uh, in terms of laws, has decided to take related to marriage and related to divorce. When we talk about Christian living in a pagan world, Someone might wonder, why in the world would the Apostle Paul address the subject of marriage and of divorce? But I I would contend that Paul's instruction on these subjects is vitally important because I don't personally know, you can argue with me over it, but I don't personally know if there's a single subject where professing Christianity as a whole has more fully accommodated itself to the world's view, to the neglect of what the Word of God has to say, to the neglect of adhering to the teaching of Jesus than in this area of divorce and marriage. I'd say in my 28 years as a pastor, it is my observation that it is a very small minority of Christians and of Christian churches who take Jesus' teaching on these subjects as seriously as he uh, does or takes it seriously at all. It's almost like people look at it and say, that's the norm, that's what's around us. Why fight against it? Why not just accept it? Who needs the aggravation of it? And uh, surely Jesus has all of the grace in the world to cover our disobedience in that area because, after all, the times have changed, the cultures have changed, the world has changed. 
And so it is very rare to find a church or Christians who take it seriously. Over and over again, you see where there is an unbiblical divorce between Christians and how often here you see this mother or this father and and you think of them as the rock of Gibraltar spiritually. And as soon as that marriage gets difficult for their little boy or their little girl, they will take and jettison God's word completely and say, get out of that, divorce the rotten bum or divorce her. She never ought to, we never thought any good of her to begin with. And I mean instantly. I mean, they wouldn't cave anywhere else in their life on what Jesus teaches. But there, man, people are quick to abandon his teaching. And I hate to say it, but that's been my experience. And the latest statistics on marriage and divorce in our nation are very, very grim. Uh, The nation in general, uh, the the latest statistics indicate that somewhere between 40 and 45 percent of all marriages will end in divorce. Now, that's an improvement over the late 70s and early 80s when it peaked. But is that because our nation esteems marriage more highly now than it did back in the late 70s and 80s? No, not at all. It's simply because more people now have simply abandoned the institution of marriage and are just simply living together. And when those relations break up and they move on to other relationships, it's not recorded as a divorce. So the times have changed. And so how things are tracked, the divorce rate, um, who knows what it would be if these kind of things were tracked. The divorce rate among those who identify themselves as Christians is only slightly less than those who are not Christians. And I want to be very, very quick to add that there can be many in this room here today who've been divorced as Christians, and, uh, but they were divorced on grounds that were biblical. And there's no condemnation related to that. Or a person was abandoned or divorced uh, unbiblically by another spouse and, and, the, and the person in this room didn't want anything to do with it. They wanted to continue to work on the marriage and to remain committed to the marriage. But the other partner did not and has divorced them. So divorces, some are, cases are biblical, some are unbiblical. Not all divorces are, uh, are equal. But the high rate of unbiblical divorces among Christians in the United States of America is perhaps most alarming, certainly to God the Father and certainly to Jesus, and that those divorce rates among professing Christians are significantly higher than for other faith groups. What a black eye for the Father and for the Son. Significantly higher than adherence to other faiths. They have a stronger commitment to marriage than the average Christian does, despite the strength of Jesus' teaching in the Bible. And in fact... 
the divorce rate among agnostics and atheists is lower than the divorce rate among professing Christians. You think about how that hurts the heart of God the Father and the heart of Jesus in terms of being misrepresented in a way that they know does great damage to their reputation and to Christianity as a whole within the world. And so the statistics, statistics tell us that in general, those who profess to be Christians in this nation really do not take God's institution of marriage seriously enough, not even as seriously as others who claim, make no claim to know or to follow Christ. And of course, unbiblical divorce does terrible damage in all directions. It does terrible damage to the innocent partner in the marriage. It does terrible damage to the children who are involved. It does terrible damage to the witness, the Christian witness of the spouse who um, uh, initiates and, and carries through the unbiblical uh, divorce. It does terrible damage to the extended families that are involved. It tears entire families apart. There's terrible damage to churches. It can split a church, ruin the reputation of a church within a community. And it does, worst of all, terrible damage to the reputation of God the Father and of Jesus in the eyes of the world because people legitimately wonder. They are free to wonder. They're free to conjecture. On this, And they wonder, how is it that the followers of this God of the Bible and his son, Jesus Christ, how is it that their followers can't resolve their situation well enough to stay together? The unsaved world will look at it and say, I can name five people off the top of my head who are non-Christians who have worked through the very same issues in their life and they stayed together without God's power, without God's wisdom, without God's direction. And it creates real confusion for people because they don't understand why it has to happen. They may not say it to us. They say it in the privacy of their own homes. And it does terrible damage to the institution of marriage itself. It makes people distrust God's institution of marriage. And it encourages people to abandon it, to say it's nothing, it means nothing, it means nothing to anybody in any kind of real sense. So they abandon it altogether, and then an entire generation can miss the blessings that are found within the context of, of marriage. Now, the Bible teaches that Christians are to view the institution of marriage more reverently than anyone, certainly more reverently than the world views the institution of marriage. And we are, as Christians, to esteem marriage even more highly than the Old Testament saints esteemed it under the law of Moses because of what Christian marriage represents in the new covenant as opposed to the old covenant. 
The Bible teaches that every Christian marriage is to be a walking, talking, living advertisement for the beauty of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church so that the whole world can look at a Christian marriage and in looking at the husband, see how it is that Jesus loves his bride, the church, and then to look at the Christian wife and to see before their very own eyes the submission, her submission to her husband in representing the submission of the body of Christ, of Christians, to the loving headship of Jesus Christ. And that's what the Christian marriage is intended to communicate to the whole wide world. And in Christian marriage, the husband and the wife are committing to being a living example of that relationship. And an unbiblical divorce comes into that, all of that, and it really mars and destroys the picture, that picture, before everyone who is watching our lives in the hope of seeing something different from what they see everywhere else. And God wants them to see something different in our marriages and our esteem for marriage. Now, Jesus teaches us, and we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about some wild-eyed, crazed, um, legalistic, fanatical Pharisee. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus made it very, very clear that as Christians, as his followers, we are to value and esteem marriage very highly. He declared in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, furthermore, it has been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, speaking to us as his disciples, that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So Jesus very, very clearly, he did not and he does not want Christians or Christianity or anything associated with his name to model a lax attitude toward marriage. He does not want to be known as the head of a religion in this world that possesses a lax attitude toward marriage and toward divorce. And as Christians, we are not to divorce our spouse for any other reason, Jesus taught, than sexual immorality. And Jesus' teaching here was even stricter than the law of Moses, and Jesus intended it to be so. Under the law of Moses, it allowed... Uh, someone to divorce, a couple to divorce, as long as a certificate of divorce was given, as long as it was made legal. But when Jesus was confronted by the Jewish religious leaders of his day to state his 
view concerning divorce, Jesus declared that the law of Moses permitted divorce because of the hardness of their heart. And then Jesus went on to declare that from the beginning, in quoting Genesis, it always wasn't always so, that God created them male and female, that he brought them together, the two became one flesh, well, God has put together, let no man put asunder, so to speak. The Genesis chapter 2, not the book of Deuteronomy, the Genesis chapter 2 is where we are to go as Christians for the ideal of marriage. And, and he declared concerning his disciples that the only grounds for divorce and remarriage is sexual immorality. And he speaks much the same thing in Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10. So the subjects of marriage and divorce are a really, really big deal to God the Father. And the subjects are a big, big deal to Jesus. And they're intended to be very, very important to us as well. And in our scripture passage here this morning, Paul addresses four different marriage situations. First, those who, who are within a Christian marriage, uh, how those within a Christian marriage are to view marriage and divorce. And then second, he addresses and gives instruction regarding two Christians who are married, but their marriage is shaky, even on the rocks. And he may be, that may be some of us here today. And then third, he gives instruction concerning a Christian who is married to a non-Christian, but that non-Christian is willing to live with them and their faith. And then fourth, instruction concerning a Christian who is married to a non-Christian who is not willing to live with them because of their Christian faith. And so in verses 10 and 11, how those within a Christian marriage are to view marriage and divorce. He says in verse 10, the wife is not to depart from her husband. He says in verse 11, the husband is not to divorce his wife. This is plan A. This is God's ideal standard for Christian marriage. And as a result, the word divorce or the word separation is not to be a part of our vocabulary as Christians. If we have problems within our marriage, that's not how we solve problems. What we do is we solve the problems within our marriage so the marriage can become what God wants uh, it to become. If we don't solve the problems, then we just simply take those problems with us elsewhere in life. And so this word divorce or separation as Christians... It's not a part of our vocabulary in our marriage. That's not something that we are to give any consideration to, and, uh, it's, and we're never to allow it to have a place in our mind where we say that's an option concerning our marriage. As the old joke goes, murder, yes, divorce, no. Almost can't tell that joke anymore because the culture has become so violent that people might take you seriously. So remember uh, the late Mrs. Graham now and heavy, heaven Billy Graham's uh, wife. And uh, she was asked one time in, in an interview whether she had ever considered divorce related to Billy. She said, divorce, no, murder, yes. <laughs> this is reassuring to know that even uh, Billy and 
Ruth Graham had to work through some things. So again, Jesus, according to Jesus' teaching, and as Paul references it here, we're not to divorce our spouse for any other reason than sexual immorality. And even if sexual immorality occurs, the partner who's been violated by that has the freedom to divorce their spouse on those grounds, but they don't necessarily have to do it. The Bible doesn't say, oh, sexual immorality occurred, now you have to divorce them. It's something that the person has the freedom to do, um, but they don't necessarily have to do it. And often God will restore marriages where even that degree of a trauma has been brought against the marriage and to make it better than ever, which speaks to God's power and his ability to uh, fix any problem within a marriage. But that violated spouse does have biblical grounds for divorce. And so what basically in verses 10 and 11 What he's telling us here is that Christians are not to be known for casual divorce. We are to be committed to one another in our marriages. Now, the second thing that he gives instruction to in verse 11 is concerning two Christians who are married, but again, their marriage is shaky, even on on the rocks. And, And sometimes, just as with God's people at the time of Moses... There can be hardness of heart. Yes, the person is a Christian, or both husband and wife, they're Christians, but there's hardness of heart toward God and and in their life, and they bring that into the marriage. That's a part of the marriage. And sometimes the actions or the sins of one of these partners can become so dangerous and it can become so destructive that the other partner feels they have to separate from their Christian spouse for everyone's good, for everyone's uh, safety. The Bible says that that kind of a spouse, has, in that kind of a situation, is free to do so, but tremendous restrictions are placed on both the husband and the wife in that kind of a circumstance because they lack biblical grounds for divorce. Paul says related to that, that if that separation or divorce occurs between two Christians because of difficulty within their marriage or any, any reason, they're to remain unmarried. They're not to get involved with another person. Or they are to be reconciled to their husband or to their wife. Now somebody might say, well, what, what are some examples of why a Christian spouse might need to use this kind of separation option in their marriage. Well, one example might be where there's physical violence and abuse going on. God doesn't call anyone to be a punching bag in a Christian marriage and to bear that for the glory of God. So where there is physical violence that's occurring and uh, somebody has been hurt or the sense that somebody's going to get really hurt in this, that spouse can take and separate from that marriage and, and create kind of a crisis in that way in order to get the attention of the other spouse to make them realize that they need to address this situation and this needs to get fixed and they are going to separate themselves from danger while that partner with the hardness of heart uh, settles the issue of Jesus' lordship in his or her uh, life. 
Sometimes there can be within a home situations where there's just this, uh, the whole atmosphere of the home is conflict, violent conflict, and maybe there isn't, nobody's getting punched or uh, thrown around, but things are being thrown around. There's screaming, there's yelling, there's fighting, the kids are watching all of this. And, and somebody or both partners have lost con- self-control. Uh, the tempers are, are, are dominating now within the marriage and all of the screaming and, and, and the yelling. And a spouse at that point then begins to legitimately fear for their safety or for the safety of the children in the home, and they will separate again to put everyone in a safe place while the problems in this marriage uh, get addressed and get uh, solved. And, and so where there is, are those, those explosive tempers and the loss of self-control, it is uh, justified for a spouse to look and say, this is going to go somewhere where somebody, me or the kids or somebody's really going to get hurt, somebody's going to do something that everyone's going to regret, and before that happens... I'm going to put a buffer in, uh, in, in here until this comes under the control of the Spirit. And in those kind of circumstances, um, again, the spouse, one spouse may find it necessary to separate until the problems are resolved. Now, why does God place these two restrictions on a Christ, Christian husband and wife where they're um, having problems in their Um, and and there might be a separation or there might be a divorce as a result of it. Why does he say, why doesn't he just say, well, listen, too bad you married that loser. Now take the lessons that you've learned here and go pick out a good one now. And uh, you've you've learned a a difficult life lesson. Why Why does he keep the restriction that, no, you need to remain unmarried or be reconciled? to your husband. And I think there's lots of reasons, but one of the reasons is that God loves to reconcile people. And the Lord loves to do miracles. And the Lord loves happy endings. He really does. And he knows how to work toward those things. And these two restrictions that he places on Christians in a shaky or a difficult marriage, what those restrictions do is... It essentially, it's God buying time for himself. The time that he wants and the time that he needs in order to work toward reconciling and healing the marriage. So often there's a, uh, there's a, a blow up and it's a real mess. And so she leaves him and she doesn't want to see his face or hear his name for the rest of her life. And he doesn't want to see her face or hear her name for the rest of his life. God can sometimes say, well, fine. I see why you feel that the way that you do, but you're not free to remarry. And you must remain single or be reconciled to your husband or to your wife. Because God very often uses, uses the crises to get, for instance, the guy's attention that he's being a blockhead in the marriage. 
and confronting him with a real lack of character, godly character, to say nothing of Christ's likeness in, in his life. And so God will sometimes use this separation then to get the guy's attention and then start to work big time in his life. And how many of you know that God can get your attention? I'll tell you, I know that God can get your attention. Maybe not in this area so much firsthand for me, maybe a little bit, but in other areas, God can do it. I think that's one of the great things if you've had a a season in your life where something's going on and God just took and put you under his thumb and you are going to be able to squirm one direction or the other. God was going to win or what? There's no other option. And one of the great things about that kind of an experience is we realize, wow, God really knows how to play hardball in a situation and to get somebody's attention and to win. And when we've experienced it in our own life in such a powerful way, we realize he'll do that in somebody else's life as well. And so to use the husband as an example, he gets the guy's attention and and he starts to work in his life. And so often, just about the time that he busts the guy, he convicts him of, of his uh, sin. He gets him to be repentant, makes him realize that he's about to lose the greatest blessing in his life, in, in, his, in the form of his wife. And now he's desiring to change what ever is needed in order to restore the marriage. So God works over here and he's just getting the guy motivated to reconcile and work on the marriage. And she goes over here and she starts to get goo-goo eyes for someone at work and is tempted now to get involved with another person. And so then God has to put the guy who he's gotten all motivated to be just in the right place now to move forward with this. He's got to put the guy on hold and go over here and do the same thing to her in order to keep them both on the same page in terms of of a reconciliation here. And so... When he tells him to remain unmarried or be reconciled, then he doesn't have to keep, okay, I got the guy where he's finally ready, and then I got, and then she's not ready, and then by the time he goes over here to get her ready, he's got goo goo eyes for someone in the apartment complex, and he's back and forth when he just takes and says, listen, you can't remarry. You have to remain unmarried or be reconciled, and they both sit in that place then he has the time to bring the thing back together. However much time that might uh, take. So God just parks them, both of them, in a safe place so that he can then have the time, as I said, to work on each of them in restoring the marriage. And the safe place that he parks them is within the boundaries of those two commandments. And sometimes both partners are wrong in a marriage that ends in separation or divorce. Sometimes they both bear equal responsibility for the demise uh, of the marriage. Let me just lay out a a scene that has played out before my eyes 
uh, many times over the years. Husband, Christian husband and wife that come in for marriage counseling, and they begin to describe their marriage. And it is a mess. I mean a undeniable royal mess. Pure misery for both of them. They come in for the counseling sometimes because both of them want a divorce, but they want a pastor's permission to do it. Uh, They want the pastor to agree that he sees that the situation is as hopeless as they see the marriage and to give them his blessing to go on and do something uh, different. And so they lay out all each of each other's failures. He doesn't do this and she doesn't do that and all of the complaints concerning one another and how long all of it's been going on. And in their mind, their problem is extraordinary, their marriage problems. Nobody's had marriage problems like this before. I mean, they're an anomaly. This is a very, very, we're unique. This marriage is unique. And sometimes in their mind, it, they think it's going to take months and months and months of counseling just to sort out and identify all of the problems we have in our marriage before we even get to trying to fix any of those uh, uh, problems. And oftentimes, not always, but sometimes... As I would listen, it becomes clear that all of their problems, as big and as complex as they think that they are, that they're only symptoms of a really, really big core problem that they can't see. And very often those kind of circumstances, in those circumstances, neither neither spouse has taken God's instruction concerning marriage seriously at all. You know, when God gave commandments to the husband and the wife, Ephesians chapter 5, you know how many commandments he gave to the husband and how many commandments he gave to the wife? One. Now, if he gave a man five commandments and we were stumbling all over ourselves, I would understand it. We're not complicated beings. But God says, I'm going to make this so A, B, C, simple. To the husband, he says, I'm going to give you one commandment in the marriage, and that is that you are to love your wife in the same way that Christ loved the church. That's just one commandment. He says to the wife, I'm just going to give you one commandment, that you are to submit to your husband, to reverence him, respect his authority as the head of the household, to submit to him in the same way that the church submits to Christ. And I will sometimes then ask in this counseling appointment, I'll ask the husband, I say, well, in this marriage, would you say that you have made it a priority to love your wife as Christ loved the church? Well, she's sitting right there, so he can't lie. So he says no. I say to the wife, I said, would you say that you've made it a priority to submit to your husband as unto the Lord. He's sitting right there. She can't lie. And so she says no. And then I explain to them, and I've done it many times through the years, 
I see, you're about to end a marriage without having been faithful to the only command that God has given you to be obedient to in the marriage. And then I let them know, and I say, you know, God has not been given a chance, not one chance, to make this marriage what he wants it to be. And if you don't give him that chance, you'll never know what your marriage might have been. And you'll regret it for the rest of your lives. And I tell him, what you have today in your marriage is the byproduct of your wisdom and your flesh. Why not give God and his wisdom a chance and let's see what happens? And I let him know, I say, you think you have marriage problems. You don't have marriage problems. Those are symptom problems. Those are not the core problem. You don't have marriage problems. You have a lordship problem. Your lives and your marriage are not submitted to the lordship of Christ because you don't love as he called you to love and you don't submit as he's called you to submit. And then I let him know that if they're willing, then we can begin to address the problems and God's solution to those problems in the light of his word. And then we get to see the mirrors that God planned for them all along. And, you know, sometimes that transformation isn't easy because people have done a lot of damage to each other from that, that particular uh, point. And so sometimes that restoration can take a little bit of, a little bit of time. It's a pretty big deal to take two descendants of Adam and Eve, fallen descendants, different personalities, different this, that, you know, unite them together in a marriage. I mean, you think about getting two people like that to live together peacefully, much less than asking them now to, in their marriage, represent Jesus Christ and his relationship with his bride, uh, the the church. So it isn't always easy. But we need to remember that marriage isn't only about providing me with joy and with blessing, but marriage is about developing my character, godly character. I know that if a person remains single, God will develop their godly character in a different ways, but God develops godly character in a... Um, profound way in the crucible of marriage. To be in that, it forces us to grow in ways that we would never, ever choose to grow. And that's, uh, that's a good thing. And sometimes when the pain and the history of the marriage is so difficult, sometimes they'll hesitate. And there they are. They respect me as a pastor or whatever, and I lay the different things out and they know that the correct answer is, yes, okay, let's go to work on the marriage. But, man, that hurt is so deep inside of them that they can even hesitate to agreeing to that in the room. And I'll typically tell that person, as I would tell anybody in this room, which is the whole purpose of the illustration, I tell them that as difficult 
as if they hesitate to give their marriage another chance, to give God a chance to do something supernatural in their marriage, if they hesitate to give God their obedience to do a miracle in their marriage, then I tell them that while the easiest thing would be to just head out the door, get an unbiblical divorce, and go on uh, about, uh, about your life, no matter what God's Word says, it's the hardest thing to do. The hardest place to be in life for a Christian who is alive to God at all is to be outside of his will. You can put you or me or anyone, any Christian, you can put us in a literal hell hole on planet earth. And if we know that we are there in the will of God, then we will be fine. Our spirit will be fine. Our mental health will be fine. Our emotional health will be fine. In the craziness of the world that we live in, to be removed and to permanently set a course like that where I remove myself from the will of God, even when it feels like it is the easiest and the best thing to do, it is the world's worst thing to do. There is something harder than God's will. And God's will can be very hard at times. And the harder thing is to be disobedient to His will. And I want them to know that. And I want them to hear the sobriety of that. Because hardship is coming in one form or another if they make the wrong decision. Now, these two restrictions having to do with remaining unmarried or being reconciled, again, gives God the time and the opportunity that he needs to do a miracle in each person's life, the miracle that he wants to do and to make a miracle of that marriage. And that's his desire. Only hardness of heart will keep God from doing a miracle in a Christian marriage. Now, third, in terms of instruction concerning a Christian who's married to a non-Christian but who's willing to live with their faith. And so the Bible teaches that a Christian is never to marry a non-Christian. But what was happening in this situation is similar to what happens all of the time today where here are two people, they get married, and neither one of them are Christians. And then along the course of two years, five years, ten years, forty years of marriage or whatever, one of them becomes a Christian. Their life, they hear the gospel, they realize the truth of it, they become a Christian. What happens when you become a Christian? You become a completely different person. I mean, the Holy Spirit comes inside of your life. You're a completely different person. And then now here you are as a part of this marriage. And so one partner becomes a Christian and the other isn't. It becomes a Christian before the other partner 
becomes a, a, a Christian. And so here you have a married couple, and one of them is a Christian now, and one of them is unsaved. And so the Christians were wondering, what do we do? Should a Christian husband or wife leave their unsaved spouse whenever they become a Christian? Is that what God would require? And the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul says, absolutely not. And he declares that no Christian is to ever leave their spouse simply because they are not a Christian. And if the unsaved partner is willing to continue the marriage and allow their spouse to continue their relationship with the Lord and to practice their faith, then the Christian spouse is not to divorce their uh, husband or their wife. And Paul gives them two very significant reasons why in verses 14 and 16. Verse 14, he says, because the unbelieving husband or wife as well as the children are sanctified by the believing spouse. doesn't mean that they're saved, but it means that this Christian spouse who is in the home now, that Christian brings a godly influence into the home and into the lives of everyone else through their example that wouldn't otherwise be there. And then he says the second reason in verse 16 is how do they, that does the believing spouse know that their godly influence might very well one day result in the salvation of their spouse and of their children? I'll tell you, if I were to ask for a show of hands here this morning of those who became Christians because of the godly example of a husband or wife who became a Christian before they did, all kinds of hands would go up in the room. If I were to ask for a show of hands of the children who were raised in a home where one parent was a Christian and the other parent was not a Christian, but who ultimately came to trust in Christ for salvation on the basis of the witness of their father or their mother in the difficulty of that situation, all kinds of hands would go up in this room. It's a powerful influence. And God says, stay in it and, and, and be that influence. And then finally we close in verse 15 with instruction concerning a Christian who's married to a non-Christian, and that non-Christian is simply not willing uh, to live with them because of their Christian faith. And, and so they divorce the Christian because of their faith, and uh, they depart from them as a result. And Paul says the Christian spouse is free to let them depart. And that happens. I've seen it happen through the years. Somebody becomes a Christian, the other person says, I did not marry a Christian. I would have never married a Christian. I don't want to be married to a Christian. And now you've become a Christian. I'm done. I'm out. There are too many things that I want to do and too many things that will offend your faith and violate your convictions and your conscience, and I want to do them in this home, and I want to do them in this marriage. I want nothing to do with this. I'm gone. And they walk away. And unfortunately, that kind of thing happens. And the Christian spouse who's been abandoned because of their faith in Christ is free to remarry, Paul says, but only another Christian. And sometimes the unsaved spouse 
<clears throat> will demand that their Christian spouse renounce their faith or they're going to leave, or they will demand that they engage in, uh, that he or she engage in sinful activities that once marked their marriage that the Christian can no longer participate in, or they're going to uh, <clears throat> leave but the Christian is never to renounce their faith in Jesus or to commit sin in order to hold on to the marriage, but to let them go if they choose to go. The most important relationship in our lives is our relationship with the Lord. And our relationship with the Lord will make every other relationship in our life healthier, but not everyone will appreciate that. And they will... Uh, leave. And so we're not to deny Christ and ever to deny Christ in order to hold on to anything because that's the relationship that's going to outlive all other relationships in life. And so again, we talk about Christian living in a pagan world and uh, there are very few, uh, if any, areas in which I think the church as a whole or Christians as a whole has more fully accommodated to the standard of the word rather than adhering to uh, 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 or accommodate the standard of the world rather than adhering to the teaching of Jesus than in this area of marriage and divorce. Jesus has a very, very high regard for marriage and he demands us as Christians to hold that same high regard for it. He does not want to know, again, I repeat myself, he does not want to be known as the head of a group of people who are known in the world for playing fast and loose with the institution of marriage and with divorce. And he has a right to demand that. And of course, it's our privilege to embrace and obey his teaching uh, as another way that we have of just expressing our love and our worship and our appreciation to him. For those of you who are here today and divorce is a part of your past, this time in the word isn't, uh, uh, the purpose of it isn't in order to open old wounds for you in any way, but again to allow all of us who are Christians to allow that standard to be raised high and to be maintained as a high standard in all of uh, our lives and properly representing God in the world in that way. Those of you today who are here today and you're facing problems in your marriage that you just need some help with, they're just beyond your scope of your understanding or your, your skill or your understanding of the Bible or whatever, you just need help in that marriage then just make an appointment with one of the pastors and come in and see and see if we can help you. We're here to serve you. There's answers. God has answers to all problems if we're willing. Jesus said that a smoking flax he will not quench, a bruised reed he will not break. And so you may be very bruised in your marriage. The fire may have gone out in your marriage related to that particular imagery and you say what in the world is Jesus going to do to me if I come and make myself vulnerable to him in this situation he knows just how to treat you and just how to handle you and he knows just the miracle that he wants to do in your life 
uh, to then make it a part of the miracle that he wants to do in your marriage. Well, someone might be here today and say, well, I've heard more exciting Bible studies. Well, so have I. But I don't know that I've heard many that are more important, at least to the person who's wanting to live for Christ in a pagan world. The world that we're living in is very, very pagan. The nation that we live in is very, very pagan. And God knows that more than ever, our marriages and our homes, our families, are going to need to be a refuge and a safe place for us to be in and to be a part of as the world becomes more and more difficult around us. And so the importance to him of making marriage right. And then we think about as the marriage institution of marriage is literally in a free fall in the world that is all around us, certainly in the nation that we're living in. And the casualties are so widespread. Just the breakdown of the institution of marriage and the consequences of that in the United States of America would break this country financially if it were not already broken. The consequences are staggering. And so here you have, as all of that is going on in the world that is around us, and, and as these casualties and all of the difficulty and all of the pain, then people need to be able to look somewhere else and see something different, to see where marriage is a beautiful thing and a highly esteemed thing and a safe thing and a holy thing. And it's our privilege then to model that to a world at a time when their marriages are falling apart or their world is falling apart. And you know what it's like, maybe some of you, to be in that place where in that moment you desperately need to find a source of hope for your situation. And God wants our marriages and our families to communicate that hope in the context of the world that we live in. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for its simplicity, its clarity. We thank you for your wisdom, Lord, that is found in it. And only you know, Lord, all these hundreds of us that are standing in this room right now, the journey that this teaching from your word took us on in our hearts and in our minds, the things that you spoke to us, Lord. And we just pray that you keep your truth alive in our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would rescue any marriages that are desperately in need of rescuing, that you would infuse hope and confidence that you are able to restore, Lord, and to make things brand new in a way that glorifies you. And we pray too, Lord, in each of our lives that 
and most significantly for those of us who are married in our own individual marriage to make your standard, Jesus, our standard and to keep the standard related to marriage very, very, very high. And we look to you in the work of your Holy Spirit to be greater than every challenge that comes against our individual marriages. We ask all these things of you, Jesus. We ask all these things of you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.